Yo, do you want do you want a beer? Yeah. Do you want it? What do you want? We've got a couple of different raspberry. Do you want a raspberry? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and start. Hello, and welcome to a damn podcast. I am Adam Sherlock. I am Adam Pulcher. And we are back again for another week of wonderful movie reviews and fanciful quips from both of us. And this is episode four. Is it? Or is it three? Two, three. Yeah, that's four. Yeah, it's four. Wow. All right. We're on a roll. Hell yeah. Last week on a damn podcast... Yes. We did the movie Zodiac. 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 Starring Mark Ruffalo, who was an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind with Elijah Wood, who was in The Ice Storm with Sigourney Weaver. I love that movie. Who was in Alien with John Hurt, who was in Hellboy with Doug Jones, who is in Pan's Labyrinth, Gilmore Del Toro's Tour de Force fantasy epic, <laughs> which we will be reviewing this week. And then... We will be doing some lists, and our first list is... Top 5 Reasons America is Scared of Subtitles. That's going to be one of them, which we didn't mention last week. No, it's the we one we came up with. Yeah, and then the other one is going to be, and it, it, it's a little bit vague of a top 5, but it's top broad. 5 movies... Alternate world... Yeah, that, in, that have a fantasy world, but are based in reality, and so it's not just, you know fantasy and you live in the fantasy and everything's fine and everybody sees the fantasy with you and it's this big huge thing and it doesn't necessarily have to be a fantasy movie so we'll get more into that yeah. later though yeah but, we'll uh, talk about we'll talk about it a little bit do you want to give a quick synopsis of pan's labyrinth yeah i'll try i you know there's some names and dates that maybe oh are that there, doesn't but, matter okay so it is spain it's 1944 it's right after the spanish civil war um a little girl named Ophelia and her mother are headed off to a small town, small village, I guess, uh, somewhere in Spain. I don't know. I'm sure it says it, but I yeah, I don't even attention. think it does really. It's really? just kind of post Civil War Spain, kind of right. So and uh, they go to uh, this house that's essentially a, a compound for the uh, um, Spanish government where they are still trying to fight some of the uh, rebels, the yeah. resistance that's mm-hmm. there, that are in the surrounding woods. Um, and her uh, Ophelia's mother has just been uh, married and knocked up by pretty much one of the most royal cocksuckers that <laughs> you've ever seen in any movie ever. He is uh, seriously an ultimate El Capitan. motherfucker. He is a <laughs> royal piece of shit. And, uh... I think he's the fly on the wall this week, though. He's incredible. Oh, fuck yeah, definitely, man. And, uh... So, essentially what what happens is that Ophelia goes to live with her wicked stepfather. Um, very fairy tale story-ish kind of a thing. And, uh, she gets approached by a fairy, and then she later meets a fawn, who tells her that she's a princess... Uh, an immortal princess and has been uh, born into a mortal body and that if she completes a series of tasks uh, to prove that she really is who they think that she is, 
she will get to go and be with her father, who is actually this this king of this mystical world. Yeah. Um, I love. Um, I really love how Guillermo del Toro kind of starts starts off the movie, and it's you know pretty subtle, kind of showing this um, dark, muted atmosphere, and um, you know in introducing the characters, and then fucking boom. You see that dude's face get smashed with a bottle, and it's oh my, yeah, ultimate brutality. He's not afraid. Yeah, to no, be that I, that caught me. That totally caught me too. Is was that you know you kind of get these hints of of this uh, uh, sort of mystical world that just she can see, and you're yeah. going, okay, this is really cute. And yeah, I mean, right right from the beginning, it seems kind of the the more realistic aspects seem kind of gritty, and you you get a little bit there. And then you get this the this scene where there's the two guys who may or may not be rebels or they may be hunting rabbits as they say yeah. they are. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, this is just my father. We were hunting rabbits, don't worry about it. And the captain, her stepfather, basically caves in the guy's skull with a bottle. I mean, I haven't seen anything like that since no. since I saw Irreversible. Yeah, Irreversible is what it reminded that, me of. It too. totally reminded yeah. me of that. And it's and it is. I mean, you're you're in the movie. You're in the movie maybe 12, maybe 13 minutes, yeah. and you, uh, the captain's only had, I don't know, maybe a minute of screen time. You don't even know anything about the guy yet, except that you kind of get the sense that he's a bastard. Like, yeah. he's he's pissed that they're late, and, like, Ophelia's mom's, like, crazy fucking pregnant. I mean, she's, like, in pain and, like, yep. throwing up and all this, and he's already like, oh, they're 15 minutes late. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, what a dick, he's obviously, like, I mean, he's obviously... Con- um, Loves control and power yeah. and anything like that. And anything anyone else does is, you know, is wrong. Or, you know, and, and one thing that um, I thought was great that kind of showed what kind of a, uh, how much she didn't care about Ophelia or her mom was um, the scene where the doctor um, tells him about this, asks him, he's like, how are, how sure are you that you know it's his son? He's like, don't, don't fuck, fuck with me. Yeah, don't yeah, fuck yeah, with yeah. me. That's, that's what he so says to him. You know yeah. that's his main goal in their whole relationship is he just wants uh He wants spawn. an heir, yeah. yeah. He, he wants. Yeah. He just wants a, a sire, yeah. Or he wants to sire a, a I, child. I really love how Guillermo del Toro is not afraid to show brutality or give you that uneasy feeling in a, like a fairy tale kind well, of Well, and you know, that that's something else too. And I mean... Uh, I'll, I'll I'll say it now as I do every week that we don't uh, we don't mess around with doing like here's the spoiler section here's here's the rest of the movie kind of a thing we assume you've seen this and then we go for it so if you haven't blah 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 go do it um, but you know I have to say that th- this movie both stories the fantasy story and the way that it's filmed and the backstory with that and and the mythology that it involves and then the real story, uh, as far as it being in the real world, um, both these could be two separate movies easily, yeah, and and still be just as in, 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 enthralling as they are. And to mix them together, it it kind of it kind of fucks with your emotions, yeah, because you you do you get the the little fairy dancing on the bed and all these sorts of things, and then you get the guy getting his face caved in with a bottle, yeah. you know, and that's only the first in a in a long string of, of really shocking, uh, brutal, violent scenes in this in this movie. And it's pretty incredible uh, uh, how, how well they mix together. It yeah. doesn't feel like one, there's one and then it hops to the other and you're like, what the fuck? Now they're, they're, she's under a tree and there's a giant toad. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah. it, all, it all seems, it seems as if every layer of it 
has a weird magical aspect to it that seems surreal in some way, even though the the story that's based in reality is really based in reality. Um, I don't remember which uh, reviewer it was that mentioned the sound, but said that you know even the creak of the the, oh, the yeah. wooden floors that's definitely and something the, I noticed. The, was the, the, the the sound of of uh, the captain's leather gloves, mm -hmm. like when he's when he's making a fist, like all of these elements. Because, you know, and, and that's one of the things when I, the very first time I watched it, and it started to get involved in the uh, sp the the, uh, the Civil War side of the story, I, in the beginning, I, I was, wasn't bored, but I was kind of like, I'd seen the commercials, and I'm like, all right, get to the fucking special effects, I want to see yeah. Doug Jones in that big rubber costume, like, that's, yeah. what, I, that's what I'm here for, you know? And uh, you lose it instantly, because it, it, it just, it pushes you into her world and you're so afraid for her and her mother and you're this guy's such an asshole and and it's and he's so frightening and unpredictable that that's just as important of a story and and having gone away from it for a little while and then watching it again yeah. uh, just recently for the podcast you know i i suddenly started remembering the character of the doctor and the character yep. of Mercedes and, and these different characters and like how much he cared about him and, and kind of coming back to that again and going, man, this is a really, really good movie. Like oh, it's each one of the characters are, are, have so much depth to them and they're so much, they're so well written. Well, and that's, that's one thing I want to mention too, is that you never, you never really see characters like this, especially as far uh, as the fantasy characters, like his originality that he creates with these these monsters and, and you know even if they're gentle monsters they're still monsters and they're 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 nothing like any other kind of movie that you've seen where there are monsters like that he doesn't rip anything off you know he no there's an unpredictability to all of it i mean even with the character of the fawn yeah you know I where mercedes a, says to her like i you know i i was told when i was a child that that, that, that fawns are not to be trusted and all of a sudden after she says that the fawn kind of seems scary. I mean, at first he just seems weird and like this really kind of weird character. Yeah. But after she says that, you know, Ophelia is kind of doubting his intentions and what's his motivation. And, and well, is so this are you really as what it's for? watching it. And, and yeah. you do too. Yeah, it wraps you up into that. And now all of a sudden he seems kind of threatening. And that's a really interesting aspect too to, to add that in where this isn't her fantasy world in the sense of like she's escaping. I mean, it's challenging her as much as her waking world is, you For know. Sure. Uh, Guillermo told Toros of this great thing when I watched the extra stuff, and he said, monsters are created or exist to manifest something we need to understand. And Ophelia yeah. um, kind of needs to, kind of, not necessarily needs to, but wants to get out of this world and go into the fantasy world, I think. And right, and wants to save her, wants to take her mother with her and, and, and her and her unborn and her unborn brother, you know. Yeah. Like, she, she really wants to save all these people and and yeah i mean there, there's an element to that that i think is uh is is really fascinating and and you know I, I don't know there was something i actually wanted to say uh in regards to that but th there there's an under undercurrent theme throughout this both in the waking world and in the fantasy world um about uh acting acting without qu question yeah. Taking orders. Someone tells you to do something, you do it. That 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 theme reoccurs both in the waking world, you know, and, and that's and remember there's the great scene where the doctor says to the captain, I don't just obey I don't just obey orders without question. Yeah. If I did, I'd be you. 
You know, like that's and it's and it's like two seconds before he fucking shoots of, him of in course, the back. Yeah, you know, yeah. but it's just like doesn't like what he said. Yeah, what a great like like you know, there it is. <laughs> fuck, go fuck yourself. I know yep. you're gonna kill me anyway. Yep. <laughs> but then the same thing happens later with Ophelia and the fawn, where she tells the fawn. You know, the oh, fawn right. says she didn't you do her need third to, task. Yeah, or, you yeah. need to do these things without question. And when the fawn, oh, finally true. take you know says now take your brother and we have to spill his blood and she says no. I won't do it. And in that fantasy world, that's what proves to the fawn that she really is the princess uh, Mayona or whatever, that, that she really is that because only a princess would say, no, I'm not just going you know, to listen to what you have to say, you know? And, and, uh, I gotta say, even the second time watching this, I still, I didn't see that coming still, you know? I yeah, you like, still kind of don't. It's great, you know? Well, and, and, uh, that was one thing that Guillermo del Toro said is that, um, there's lots of themes of Catholicism in this oh, in yeah. this movie about you know the the layers of belief and doing what you're told versus questioning authority and taking your own action and, and having your own thoughts and your own beliefs about something, which I always thought was really interesting. And he actually uh, Del Toro said it's a very uh, anti-Catholic movie. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, um, Sergio Lopez who plays the captain said that he disagrees and he thinks it's actually uh, very much embraces the true meaning of Catholicism, which I thought was really funny that the two of them had had such a, a opposing... Idea. Well, and you know, and Del Toro, he had been working on ideas for this movie since he was a kid. I, I have a magazine that has some of uh, uh, prints from his notebooks from when he was like 17, mm-hmm. and they have drawings of the fawn and drawings of the labyrinth, and he kind of had the story, but he'd been working on it forever. He's uh, really just like incredible to listen to talk about it, because and and this is kind of a theme we have from the movies we've done so far. It's they're all directors that have their own you know voice and have their own originality, are and are all extremely detailed and down to the button where they're just like, no, this needs to be like this. And, you know, like, same, right. you know, all of them. And all the movies are kind of, you know... Well, and, you know, to even to even impress upon that point a little bit more, uh, Sergio Lopez said that uh, when uh, Gilmore Del Toro uh, came to him and said, I have this movie, there's this character, you have to play him, which, right, you know, right there, uh, Lopez said he thought was so funny because he's known the, the majority of the work that he's done... He's done a little bit of drama work, but what he's known for in Spain is he's a comedic actor. Really? He does comedies. That's pretty much it. And here he is playing the most frightening, and he even said, it's the most sadistic, frightening character I've ever played. And he's like, and I couldn't have pushed it any further. I mean, it was written this one way. Um, But when uh, Del Toro approached him and said, I really want you to be in this, and they got together for dinner, and Gilmore Del Toro uh, explained the, the movie scene by scene with bits of dialogue for two and a half hours at dinner to Sergio Lopez. And when they got done, he said, that's great, I'm in. He said, you know, give me a script. And he's like, well, I haven't written any of it down yet. Oh, he, has a, he hadn't written a single word down of it, but he he had the entire movie, each scene, each little nuance of every character in his head to the point where he could recite the entire thing to him it's amazing. before he had even written the script. So Someone that gives that you a really great idea. Obviously truly made... To create movies like that. Oh and, yeah. Um, and one thing I thought was really interesting that I didn't notice the first time, um, but the captain and Ophelia, um, they don't really interact for about an hour and a half until the movie until he basically wants something from her. Right. You know, yeah, and like yeah. other than when he, uh, uh, her mother introduces 
her to him, and he's like, that's the wrong That's hand. the wrong, you don't shake with that hand. Yeah, and that's yeah. the first thing he says to her, is like, God, what a fucking prick. And then pretty much doesn't say anything else to her. For Until he wants something from her when he uh, when she goes to take the, the her brother to mm-hmm. the fawn, you know? Other, other than that, they really don't interact that much. She's kind of off. No, the only her. other interaction he has is he tells the soldiers that uh, if anybody try, he locks her in a room and tells the soldiers if anybody tries to come and get her, shoot her. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, she's a 10-year-old girl. Good yeah. Lord, man. Ruthless. Like, Yeah, well, and, and that, uh, he's an incredible character. Uh, uh, Mercedes, uh, what's what's the actress's name? Do I have no idea, yeah. She's amazing. She's really good. And, you know, I was reading about, about her, and they said that usually she was really uh, uh, cast against type. Uh, for her also because usually she plays the big like sex bomb and I was like really and so I I started finding other movies that she'd been in and finding pictures of her and she's fucking hot really yeah I mean she really she really uh, makes herself into a dour old maid in this movie like homely in the yeah but she but boy you know for starting off as being this sort sort of subservient seeming uh, maid in the first half the second half she's fucking Hard ass, man. Oh, where she cuts his lip open, you're just like, oh, oh my god, Jesus. Yeah, and she just says that's always been your problem. You you've never looked at at, at women as people. You've never looked at yeah. women as threats. <laughs> and he's like, if if you ever put a goddamn finger on her on on Ophelia, I'll kill you. Blah oh, blah man. blah. And then just and those it, it maybe one of the most realistic attacks with a knife I've ever seen is she stabs him in the back, and he's trying to turn around and get the knife, and you're just like, oh god, and then. Stabs her in the front and like kind of drags it down, and you're just uh. I mean, it's so the and I, that's one of the things I thought was really uh, great about this movie too is that when there are these scenes of violence, uh, they're so realistic in that yeah. way that it doesn't seem. I mean, there is a very uh, very thick line drawn between the fantasy world that she lives in and these real events that are happening well, where they're really gritty and they're I mean this is an adult fairy tale well, in, in the, every aspect. The realism of the violence is what makes you feel so uneasy, you know? And it's It just, is cuz you honestly don't know. I mean, it goes through some scenes where you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't know who's who's going to die and who's going to live and it's just not that kind of a movie, you know, where where you and maybe one of the reasons for that too that, you know, and this is something we'll get into later when we talk more about foreign films in general, but you know, part part of the great thing for somebody like me watching a movie like this is that because there is because Tom Cruise isn't in it, yeah, right. Where you're like, well, Tom Cruise isn't going to die. It's fucking Tom Cruise. Come on, you know, like yeah. they're not going to kill Tom Cruise. <laughs> nope. But where it's all these people, where uh, as someone who doesn't isn't that familiar with with Spanish cinema, you know, I'm ignorant to who all these people are, and and you know, because of that. I'm wondering who's going to live, who's going to die, oh, yeah. what, where is the story going to turn from here? Because everybody could be expendable. I don't know. Exactly. You know? And that's I, I I think that's a great aspect. Um, I think we should uh, kind of go back and talk about Doug Jones a little. The guy who played the fawn and the uh, pale yeah. and the pale man. He's actually both, which I didn't know until I watched the extra stuff. It's yeah. The guy, the guy with the eyeballs in his hands um, and the fawn. He's both of them and. Um, I love how those are actually costumes. They're not, it's not computer generated, other than his legs a little bit, I think, but I mean... Well, basically, and and what it was is that, uh, you know, his legs, both as the fawn and as the uh, uh, pale man, are contorted and obviously aren't something that you could put inside of a suit. But uh, 
they're they're worn in front of where his real legs were, and so yeah. he's on these stilts, and he's got his legs twisted in these weird ways. And you know, poor Doug Jones, he has done so many movies where he's in these fucked up costumes, and he has to learn all of the dialogue and act in scenes with all of the other actors, and then post production they dub his fucking voice. They did it. They did it with Hellboy. The Abe Sapien character that he plays was dubbed over by uh, Fraser's brother. Oh, What's that really? guy's name? He's a, he's that guy. Not, oh, I know. I know who you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, uh, whoever that is that plays Fraser's brother. Uh, he dubbed David Hyde Pierce. David Hyde Pierce yeah. dubbed over that voice. But Doug Jones still had to learn every really? so line of dialogue. That wasn't David Hyde Pierce in that movie. No, oh, that was really? that was that was Doug Jones oh, in that geez. suit. So then, so then there's that. You know, yeah. and then and then he played the crazy Nazi guy with the little wind up thing that his body was made of sand, and he had that weird helmet thing. Yeah. And that. But then, if that's not bad enough, then he does fucking Pan's Labyrinth. And he learned Spanish. And I he think, learned yeah. Spanish. Did all of the lines. He didn't speak any Spanish. Learned all the lines in Spanish. Did it, and then they dubbed it over with a Spanish so that's actor. Not, that's, that's not, not him, talk- him talking oh, either. That sucks. I know. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. The guy's obviously getting. All, all of the clout that he deserves, but his his voice on 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 all of these really uh, big movies, his voice hasn't been heard. But he's been working with Del Toro for fucking ever. Oh, yeah. He's the one who played the giant cockroach in Mimic. I don't think I've seen. Mimic. Have you ever seen Mimic? It's is that the nearest? Uh, yeah, yeah, near, remember? Yeah, yeah, and he's like a giant cockroach thing or whatever. But yeah, I he may have seen that. It, but it's not I'd memorable. Fucking, yeah, <laughs> it's like a drive-in movie. It's it's good for what it is. But he was really creepy in it, and. You know, you think it's it's CG, and it's not. It's him in this fucking suit being this creepy guy. And I guess Del Toro, when he said when he was uh, getting ready to do uh, to play the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth, he was saying, "Well, what do you want? How do you want me to do this?" And he said, "Go total glam rock star with it." Yeah. He said, "But." I read that. Less David Bowie, more Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. And he does. If you see, like, the wrist, the flicking of the wrists and, like, the way he smiles and moves his hands around, it's <laughs> very it's very reminiscent of, like, yeah, it's totally flamboyant. Like, I kind of don't trust this guy. He's kind of creepy or whatever. But, but he's an old tree. Or yeah, well, and, you know, know. <laughs> uh, to speak of that, too, uh, 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 the character of the Pale Man, uh, I read in an interview that, that Del Toro said that... That's got to be one of the creepiest creepiest things hands down and he said where the idea came from is that when he was a little kid uh he went to an aquarium and they had you know lots of different kinds of shark and fish and sea anemones and all these and in one of the tanks they had a couple of skates you know the the, it's like a shark but it's they're they're called skates and they kind of they have it looks like kind of like a stingray like they have okay big flat uh, uh sort of wingspan on them and the underside of them is just white, and there's this sort of downturned mouth with these two little nostrils. And he said it scared the shit out of him, and he would have nightmares as a kid all the time about that—just that big white underbelly face with just that thin little lips of a mouth and the two little nose holes. And so he started drawing this ogre once again from these notebooks when he was younger. He always had this drawing of this ogre who had a face that looked like that. And actually, Del Toro's a pretty used good to artist. Be fat, like it's really, you know, yeah, obviously used to be fat, and then he's gotten really well. And there, and Old that man that eats baby heads. Well, and that whole scene, like I mean, like the the piles of children's shoes and the paintings on the walls yeah. inside there with with the pale man eating the children. And you know all that. what and, bothered me about the scene is like she is a, a smart character, and she you're just like, why the fuck would you eat? 
something off the table. I know. I mean, the like, food does look really good. It though. does, but at the same time, you're like, throughout this movie, you've been completely intelligent and done everything. The you know, only part, the know. only part that but I, I mean, can see, it the, brings the story and brings him to life. I, I I agree, and I thought I thought that like the first two times I watched it, too, like, why the fuck did you eat a grape? <laughs> They told you. Yeah. You believed everything else he said. Why did you? Why now? <laughs> and then this last time when I watched it, I thought a little bit more about what she had been through and thought, you know, she's hungry. It's not just. That, <laughs> well, just it's not. I mean, she did get sent to bed without any supper the night before. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. But the one thing that I thought was like, you go for so long with everybody telling you what to do and you just do it that at some point you're just kind of like, fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you anyway. I mean, I'm going to go and do this, but, like, come on. I'm going to rebel a little bit. Seriously? Everybody's telling me shit to do, you know? Well, one thing I wanted to touch on before we end this real quick is um, something that really stuck out for me that I, I didn't notice really the first time either is the colors of the movie. And, uh, you know, Ophelia wears green pretty much the entire time. Yeah. And um, the whole realistic uh, version of the movie, you know, it's pretty drab, gray, darks, blues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lots of greens. And, and then the fantasy world is kind of like reds and golds and a lot more inviting. Yeah, well, you know, he said that one of his biggest influences visually for making this was the uh, works of the painter Francisco Goya, who uh, was making uh, paintings around the time of the, of uh, maybe not the Spanish Civil War. Maybe it was that. No. Some other war, something else. But uh, history but, buff. Yeah, totally. Uh, not to see you like that. But uh, no, I might have been pulling that part out of my ass. But but that uh, you know, and if you've seen any of Goya's work, I mean, he, there's definitely it's the guy. Uh, uh, remember the the painting of Saturn eating his children. Uh-huh. As the guy, and he's like, ah, and his eyes are really big, and yeah. he's all bloody. That's Goya. Oh, okay. So that gives you a good idea, like, well, fuck yeah, that's 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 right up the same alley. Okay, um, I totally know. Okay, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you you know, and I I think that that's a that's a really interesting thing. Like once I read that, I went, yeah, I can see that. And 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 Goya had uh, a lot of paintings that had sort of supernatural stuff. And actually, one of them has a character that has a goat's head in it. So. Hmm. There's that too. Cool. Well, but, uh, um, obviously, great watching second time around, though. I really enjoyed it, and it really, like you said, realized that it was just like it's a fucking great movie. It's just really well done. I enjoyed it more the second time. I think probably definitely. Well, and I, I, I just, I, I, I love that that uh, Del Toro created an entire world that feels like it's existed for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like you get those pictures of the labyrinth. And the labyrinth itself, I mean, it looks like it's actually something. It doesn't look like the Jim Henson Creature Workshop, like, yeah. made it in a weekend. Like, eh, there's your fucking labyrinth. Like, it looks like very detailed, very old. Like, and, and, and even the stuff, you know, you have to think, like, and I, this is one thing I kept thinking about. Like, okay, so these are all the guys that are, like, on her side. And they're trying to save her and protect her. But they're still really disturbing. Oh, really yeah. fucking disturbing. All of it, even the statues, like the one in the beginning where she finds the eye and oh, she I puts it back part. in. That the face itself, I was like, ah, don't fucking go near that. That's you know. The, uh, and then the twig bug comes out of it, and that didn't help. That was very yeah. uh, Indiana Jones ish. Just like I, I, Guillermo del Toro, and I, we keep quoting him, but he's just he just really gives you a lot of information about this movie. And oh yeah, why he did it, but um. He said, um, 
uh, you know, a labyrinth is confused with a maze a lot, and a maze is kind of some place where you get lost in, where a labyrinth is kind of a door to another world kind of place, and it mm. can be. So I, yeah. I thought that was really interesting, and that's kind of... And he definitely said, you know, everyone kind of thinks, oh, Pan is the fawn, but it's Pan is actually the only... Uh, only where, uh, only place where it's called Pan's Labyrinth is in America, right? Because um, it's actually called the Fawn's Labyrinth, but Fawn's in Labyrinth, a, yeah. in English, in American, <laughs> what I was about to fucking say, in American, <laughs> but uh, in English, yeah, Fawn is double meaning. That like, will tie in later, I think. Yeah, well. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, really quick before before we finish, uh, let's talk about the ending for a minute because I have to admit. Even though there is an element where I kind of maybe saw it coming a little bit, it is not often in movies, uh, foreign or not, that you kill a little kid, that's <laughs> especially true. one that's a main character. It does. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that when the buildings blow up in Die Hard 14, like I'm sure lots of little kids get killed, but you never see it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But here's one where it's like that, that dude fucking. Shoots her. Just he already gets the kid back. With she's no just remorse. standing there. Yeah, yeah. No she's remorse. a ten-year-old girl standing there. Like if you were to just snip that clip of the movie and sh- and take somebody who'd never seen the movie and just show them that, they'd be like, "What the fuck? I would never watch that. That's horrible." But you know, it's I, I love the part where you know he's got the whole thing with his father's watch the whole time, and then and then they're like, "Just tell my son what time." What time his father died, and they're like, like "No, nope. you're not even gonna fuck. He's nope. not even know who you he are." And you're like, "Shit about you." Boom. Gets, yeah, it's it's great because well, and that's great another great element out. too because you never, you know, there in 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 most movies you have the bad guy and he's a total prick through the whole thing, and you get to the very end and you're like, and then then the good guy he fucking kills him, and you're like. Yeah, I mean, he deserved to die, but, like, look, you know, really needle him first. Oh, yeah, they Get stuck, him with something. They and stuck it to him. The only it, thing that he cared about. Yeah, yeah they, that, they, that was the perfect punishment. Oh, you know, yeah. just killing him would have let him off the hook. Exactly. Well, and but, you know, I have to say, even after watching it again, the whole thing with the watch and the time that his father died, but he fixed the watch and then he lies about it and all this, just makes you go, this guy is a sociopath. He's got obvious so many, father problems. So know? many other levels yeah. than just... Than just the fact that his father died, you know, when he was really young or whatever. I mean, there's Daddy issues. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in a whole different light where he obviously doesn't like his father. I mean, it's it's wild. But, That's a whole other story. Too, but yeah. getting back to Ophelia dying, you know, it's it, I don't know. It's really, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting thing, and it's pretty daring because you know that Del Toro knew that like this movie is going to do well in America because of the Hellboy mm-hmm. and all the other movies that he'd been doing, that it was going to get uh, a, a wide release. And so taking that chance on something like that and not having a, a happy ending in the traditional sense, and really... You know, she does go off and kind of live in her fantasy world. She and does, kind of but... Want. And, I thought, and I thought so too. Is like this Last time when I watched it, and it goes to the fantasy world, and there's her mother, and there's her father, and they're all applauding for her and all of that. And I thought... Okay, watching it again, it does play it kind of safe, but then the very last shot, it goes back again to reality, and she does die, dies, dies. And she's singing that hymn or lullaby. And she starts crying and singing that lullaby, you know, and then that's how the movie ends, and I just thought, wow, man, that's... That's pretty, pretty brutal. Like, that's that's a big dare to fucking take that, take that leap, and, and it's... 
And I think that's what makes it a great movie, and we'll delve into this in the next portion, but I think that's kind of what makes it a not an American movie. Definitely. So we'll get involved in that. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do our lists. And right now we are going to hear a song from La Force, La Force. called uh, Nail in My Coffin, I believe. So we'll be right back. Bye. Bye. It's in my queue. It's in the works. It's it's they had it. They and you officially it. have Netflix now. I have I have Netflix now. Welcome. Look at what a productive week I've had. I know. I haven't seen Deathbed yet. Okay. I haven't. I well, watched. I haven't that. seen I Sandwich watched, Muscles. So, dude, I watched that like trailer of the, uh, the or I guess it's just clips from the movie of Deathbed that you made me watch though. Yeah. Oh my fucking god! I don't know if I can make it through it. It's gonna be well. You have. I to, mean, I, I was I, when I was telling I was telling Abby I was like you know. I, what I saw of it, it may be worse than some of the movies. And like we we we've seen like Track of the Moon Beast and <laughs> The Revenge of Doctor X, and this looks fucking worse than either one of those. Well, I'll tell you what. I think Santa with muscles probably I, it's gonna oh, make. It looks so good that trailer. And it's he gets gonna, amnesia, and so he really thinks he's Santa. Or? I think it's gonna make Stop or My Mom Will Shoot look like an Oscar winner. <laughs> I think you're probably terrible. right. Oh, I can't wait! It looks so good. No. It looks so good. <laughs> Get him, Santa! There was like a, there was a scene like that or something. It looks so good. Oh, it's gonna be horrible. We'll we'll watch that and we'll do a review of it and then we'll do. Uh, um, What's the one where he's the nanny? <laughs> I think it's just nanny. I don't know. No, that's that's Fran Drescher. What's the, what's the one where Hulk Hogan's... Mr. Nanny? I don't know. Mr. Na- Mr. Mom? No, that's a good one, though. <laughs> yeah, I like that's that a, That's a whole week of movies right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys in female roles. 
Oh, I like Tootsie. <laughs> there you Tootsie. go. Tootsie. I love Tootsie. Tootsie's a good movie. It is a good movie. I like it a lot. Um, okay, do you want to delve into the uh, top five? Let's fucking delve. I feel like delving. I'm ready for some delve. <laughs> All right, top five. This is going to be, uh, we're going to do the top five uh, fantasy movies with a basis in reality. Well, and I know when yeah. I said it last week, I at first I was like, ha ha, huh? that's a fucking good one. It is a good one. <laughs> but, but it's we very to, broad. Yeah, we kept talking about it because it was like, well, it could be... And what the hell? Yeah, I called you like six times, like, what exactly are what we... About, yeah. <laughs> what about... And then I'm like, well, what do you have? And you're like, oh, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> yeah. so it's like, I, there's only so much I can do to help. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, I you know, I it's kind of, you know, a alternate world reality kind of movie where there is a basis of reality, you know, and it's just kind of, if you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, it's a, you can kind of understand it a little bit more where there's a tie-in, but I mean... My top five, there's not really any, like, fantasy movies. It's more like alternate worlds. Right, but fantasy can be... I mean, okay, if you think of somebody being, like, a psychotic, delusional person, they can have an entire illustrious fantasy world that doesn't have David Bowie in it. And that's basically what I did. How did you create your five, though? Um, I don't know. I I started thinking about just that idea, the idea of... Okay, I live in a fantasy world, but like you know, my friends can't see the shit that I'm seeing. And, yeah, you know, there's and 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 kind of w- along the same lines too. That there's some point in the movie where other characters that have their feet firmly in reality have to go, buddy, <laughs> like you're not saving the world. I know you think you are, yeah. but you're not. That's not real. And so I kind of use that as a, as part of it too. That there's this sort of uh, catalyst uh, where the two worlds collide or mm-hmm. converge in some way, and there's okay. that kind of a thing. So that that's really how I did mine. I don't know how did you do yours. Um, you know, it's kind of along the same lines. So I'm wondering how much uh, how much stuff we're gonna have the same. You know, like like we said, it's pretty broad. So yeah. you know, a lot of it. I, at first, I was looking for more. Fanticle? Is that a word? Fanticle? <laughs> I think that's just how good Fanta tastes when you drink one. <laughs> the drink? Yeah, it's Fanticle. It's Fanticle taste. Yeah. Fanta- oh, my... Fantastical, maybe? Is that a word you're reading Fantastical. For? Okay. Yeah. I was kind of looking for something more like that, but then I kept finding myself going to movies that just were more of an alternate world or an alternate state of mind or delusions. Or, okay. You know, it just kind of, you know, it's all over the place. Well, let's stop, let's stop jerking each other yeah, off. Why don't, you, why don't you give us uh, your number five? Okay, this one is actually kind of a little bit reversed. Oh, for, do, do you have any honorable mentions? No. Oh, okay. I don't. All right. But this one is, um, I, I'm glad I came up with it, and it's one I don't think you'll have on yours, but it's Truman Show. Where, yeah, you know, okay, where it's yeah. kind of reversed, where it's... Truman, there you go. Truman's, All right. Truman's reality is kind of everyone else's fantasy, you know. Right. You know, and and I thought okay. that kind of worked, and that one that one popped. No, in my that's mind. a good one. So. I like that because it is. I mean, even though, I mean, yeah, it really is. He believes. Boy, there's some stuff in that movie that's that that always creeped me out though. Just like this idea of like. And Harris, I thought was always kind of creepy, but he was great. I well, mean. but I just, I mean, I guess just the idea itself of like the reality that you live in isn't what you think it is. And oh, I mean, yeah. not to go off on a tangent, but I remember one time um, we were on tour and we were in Lawrence, Kansas, and we were we yes. had just most of the day off, and we were just dicking around. And I, 
I kind of went off by myself and was walking through this town I'd never been in before. And, you know, it makes you feel a little temporary. And uh, I grew up there, by the way. I know. Okay. I know you did. That's, that's, that's you know, another good reason to tell the story. But good tie-in. Uh, I was in this, I, I walked into this bookstore and I'm like walking around looking at stuff. And it just, it feels weird to be in a city you've never been in For before sure. by yourself. Oh, I've never seen these books. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, just, I, was, I think I was feeling uh, a little fragile, maybe, you know, yeah. being on tour for a couple weeks, too. And uh, in this bookstore, and I pulled this book off the, sh- the shelf randomly, and it was called How to Cheat at Solitaire. <laughs> and uh, and I, I didn't, I was just like, that's an interesting title. It was a book of poetry. And I just flipped the book open to the fir- first page I opened it to, middle of the book, and it says, Lesson 14. And underneath that it said, What if your entire life up to this point has been one big setup, and this is the first clue? That's probably the basis I, of Truman Show. Well, yeah, and I <laughs> fucking looked around the bookstore like it was just it was it was one of those moments like that where yeah, and and and, and you know watching the Truman Show made me feel the same way where it's just like, what if your life was that? Like, how would you know that everyone that you knew were actors? Like, I don't know. But no, anyway, it's a it's a great movie. I thought it was a kind of a little more of original tie-in for this week, and kind of a little bit where my list is going. But I mean, okay, well, no, and I, you know, that's not a weird thing. Mine, mine, in a lot of ways, uh, goes along the same lines. I have two honorable mentions, really quick. Okay. The first one. Uh, I thought of, and then when I started thinking more about it, I was like, it doesn't count because it leaves it really open-ended at the end with frailty. Which, oh, that's a good one. Which goes with that idea of it being an alternate, you know, here's someone who believes this, these things that aren't based in reality. If you haven't seen this, is Bill Paxton directed this movie. Yeah, it's and amazing. it's so fucking great. I was totally blown away. Yeah, and, and he's incredible that. in it, too. He, is. he he's, really does an amazing job. Anyways, but, yeah. And he goes up to a point, you know, it goes up to a point with this idea of it being an alternate reality, and then it switches it on you. And I don't want to say more than that, yeah. because I, I, that's definitely one I'd like to do someday. But but it definitely... So anyway, but that, that it, it kind of didn't fit in because it leaves it open-ended at the end. Uh, second honorable mention was Fight Club, which I think yeah. uses those same ideas, too, of, like, you think the world is one way and it turns out to be another way. But my number five is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Cool. Yeah, uh, obviously. With, yeah. you know, his dream world of the giant the, the giant metallic wings and flying around the city and being this kind of savior, uh, the very angelic kind of savior. And so, I don't there's not a whole lot more to say about it than that. I need to watch that movie again. It's, it's a, a fucking long time. good one, man. It is very And I want to get I, I want to get that like extended limited edition director blah 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 that's like four international hours long I want that one. Triple Cuz I've never seen it. Triplicate. Yeah. Trip double, <laughs> double triplicates. Anyway, all right, go ahead and do your number 4. Um, my number 4 and you may have this one but it's Donnie Darko where he sees the creepy yeah, you know okay. he kind of has yeah, the yeah, creepy yeah. rabbit uh, man-sized rabbit thing, and you know, and and Frank, yeah, Frank, yeah. and and one reason that I thought this was a good fit is because a lot of the stuff that he imagines, you know, he basically follows orders from Frank, and he does have consequences in reality, hmm. and uh, you know, and I thought it was kind of a, you know, obviously nobody else sees the bunny rabbit, right, and uh, you know, I, I I just I don't know, I just thought, when I thought of alternate realities, I it's always thought it was one. kind of a good yeah. one, and. That movie's definitely got kind of the weird. Weren't you saying every what, was genre. It, what was his next movie? The director's next movie, Southland Tales. And it just sucks. Oh, dude, it was the biggest fucking train wreck of a movie I've seen. 
It was, what did you say? That Sundance people booed or what was yeah, it? Yeah, it, it, it premiered at Cannes and it got booed. <laughs> and then he recut it and cut like 20 minutes oh, out. And God. I couldn't even imagine what it's like. Like, oh, And it, it's just the weirdest follow-up to one of the coolest movies of the yeah. last decade. And like, and it really is so overwritten and just, oh, it is such a train wreck. And you know, every, you... every B... Saturday Night Live actor you can think of right. isn't it and like it's 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 all over the place and I there had to have been a point in this movie where The Rock which I who I think is actually a pretty good actor it, um, who? The Rock <laughs> I do he, he's he's okay yeah Scorpion King he well you know I haven't uh, seen any shit like that amazing but there, there is... tour de force <laughs> tour de force well as far as athletes go in acting he presents himself a lot better and you know yeah but i mean he's a wrestler he's not yeah really i guess he's not really whatever but i think he he can hold himself on screen and there's had to have been a point where some of these people are like what the fuck am i doing in this movie well but yeah that's a total side well, another discussion but that's i mean it's a fluke obviously his first movie you know it's like you give a was it you give a hundred monkeys a hundred typewriters <laughs> yeah right some well, one of them is eventually movie, gonna do know? it was a weird follow-up but anyways that was a train wreck but uh, anyways, my, my number talk. four is the cell oh okay which i love the way I that i love movie looks. that movie man i love the way it looks i mean yeah it's got its problems it's sci-fi. Got lots of problems sci-fi <laughs> movies always have problems but damn it, it it's a good movie I like it. I like the way it looks. I it like. It looks amazing. I like. Uh, uh, what's Jennifer Lopez? No, the the. Uh, uh, it's a D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Yeah, he's creepy enough in it. But I thought it was really good, and it, and it dealt with that idea of this alternate reality. But once again, kind of going back to what you said, there's consequences in it. You know, it's not just an alternate reality, and you know, if they get stabbed or get killed in it, they get to just wake up and everything's fine. You know, there's there's. There's uh, dire circumstances, and so I liked it for that. Kind of remind it's not on my list, but it kind of reminded me of Dreamscape. Oh, okay. Remember that movie? No. With Dennis Quaid? He goes into other people's dreams. Oh, no, I don't. Really? I don't think I've seen that. God. We need to watch that one. Is of these The Rock nights. in it? Then I haven't no. seen it. <laughs> he might. They may have, re, you know, they may have, they may have, you know, pulled a fucking Star Wars Episode One on us and, and put him in there digitally. Which I'd be okay with. Yeah, it's that good. <laughs> it's that good that the Rock couldn't ruin it. <laughs> Which is, hey man, hey, that's one hard. day Rock's gonna do something awesome and you're gonna go, wow, I was wrong. No, because <laughs> when you're fucking see, I've whole, never seen when Scorpion you're waving King. that flag at me, I'll fucking put on Scorpion King and we'll watch well, that. Well, yeah, well, I've never seen Scorpion King. and it's King. never gonna happen. I know, but it's never like he's gonna take some big turn and <laughs> do some amazing dramatic performance. I hope he proves you wrong. I fucking <laughs> dude. I don't even have time to hope for some shit like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My day's full as it is. For me going, come on, Rock, you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. The only thing I hope for the Rock is that he finally comes out of the closet. Okay. All right. My number three is uh, the Fisher King, which. That's my number three also. Yeah. Great. Hell yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the whole... And, and the only... You know, the whole thing with... Robin Williams is so fucked up from his wife getting killed that he yeah. just creates this whole new life for himself where he doesn't give a fuck and he's got the Red Knight thing. Well, and you, you know, know, there's some elements of it that tie pretty closely into true psychology where, you know, a lot of times uh, schizophrenics or people that have this kind of pathology... Uh, will 
will create a universe for themselves where they're in total control. They are the hero. Oh yeah. You know, and he he is the white knight. He is he is the hero. And so there's you know that there's that element of it that I thought was really well written. Terry Gilliam once yeah, again. Yeah, Terry too. Gilliam, and it's it is a good movie, man. I, I, I love, love that movie. All the scenes with the Red Knight, and and you know it's it's just a really great movie. And you get to see his hairy little penis. Yeah. Which you know. In his in his hairy little butt cheeks. He's a hairy man. He is. For me he to put, say it, he puts you to shame. For honest. me to say it, I am a fucking Sasquatch. <laughs> yes, you are. And so, for me to say that somebody else is hairy, I must mean it. And yeah, him and and him and Timothy Dalton have uh, those two guys. You know, what, a little Burt Reynolds. There's another one. You know, a, a kind of a sidetrack thing. I saw a guy today, and this is a hairy guy, obviously. Where is this at? Um, I was at the gym, and this guy was. Um, is this in the locker room? No, <laughs> I don't go in the locker room. <laughs> oh, um, but this guy, you know, he's sitting there talking to this other guy, and he's seriously got Sasquatch arms, like full on, like layers of hair, and Dad he's arms. wearing a tank top. And I'm like, why the fuck are you showing that shit off? Like some people are just proud of it, I guess. Tank top, well, like shoulder hair. Oh, full. I mean, it went everywhere, but yeah. you know, that's a total. Side. I have, I have shoulder We're, hair. Yeah, but you're not lot. wearing tank tops. I'm not. I don't wear a tank top. I don't care. I don't care if it's 115 degrees outside and I have to mow the lawn. Yeah. There's no... I'm not putting on a tank top. I know what I look like. I've seen myself naked a couple and times. And even mowing the lawn would probably be okay because you're at your house. But this guy's, you know, pumping iron. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, that's not... That doesn't... We'll know. see, but what's worse? That or just bicking your whole body? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'd look like a giant baby if I didn't have hair. Yes, you would. Okay, my number two. No. What? Oh, yeah, that's right. You win. Yeah, because mine three. was. Okay, go ahead. I know what I'm doing. Okay. Jesus. The Machinist. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love Christian Bale. Which I don't want to talk too much about again because <laughs> I want to do this movie. But after watching it a couple of times, his fantasy world is is very close to reality. I mean, it's. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a I, fantasy at all. You, it really catches you off guard that there's things occurring that are not true to life. and But yeah. after repeatedly watching it, you start to see elements of it. You know, when he's on the carnival ride with the kid, there's some really great uh, um, imagery that shows you that he is stuck in this pathology. And... Uh, Man, just the way he looks. Oh man, that he's he you can't just, even tell it's him. No, he looks like a refugee. I mean, he is just skin and bones. And then he did Batman so, right after that. Yeah, he actually said in an interview he'd never do that oh, again yeah, because it made him so sick. Say. Yeah, he said for six months he smoked a pack of cigarettes <laughs> a day, ate a green apple, and had uh, one can of tuna fish. <sighs> That was it, each day. And then beefed up for fucking bad. And then he said, and then they said that the second they stopped shooting, he ate everything. He ate everything for like three months and then got a a personal trainer and started getting in shape. It's a good one, and one I kind of thought about, but I wasn't sure if it applied. It was kind of one of those, you know? Really? Machinist, yeah. 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 I mean, it does does apply after you explain it, but, you know, it was kind of one that I was just, it did pop in my mind, but I wasn't really sure how the list was going. It's weird how many movies are actually like this that that, mm-hmm. that sort of have these dual storylines going on of, of what's really going on. Yeah. And sometimes people know it. And you know, sometimes if there's fairies and wizards and fucking lollipop lane and all that shit, then then yeah, 
it's really easy to distinguish, okay, this is what's going on in this person's head, and then this is reality. But there's other movies where it's it's harder. It's harder to see that because they mesh very closely. Movies like Fight Club or, or mm -hmm. The Machinist, where they, they are a little more close to home, and so figuring out the mystery of, like, well, what's really happening and what's happening inside this character's head uh, isn't as easy to distinguish, and I, I think that's really cool. It's a really great storytelling element. Cool. So. Nice. Okay, um, my number two, one of my favorite movies of all time, being John Malkovich. You know? Yeah. I, it, well. It's got one of those where basically, you know, he obviously finds the portal, and it is an alternate reality, because, you know, he's in this... Because they're being well, he's, John Malkovich. Well, he's in this life where he's got, you know, a boring job, and he's a failed puppeteer, and, you know... Dude, a failed puppeteer. Yeah. Like, you're not even, like... <laughs> And I know I'm mentioning it again, but it's not even like you're working for the Jim Henson workshop. Like you're, you're, you fail. Well, and you his, don't get, you don't get to work for anybody. His marriage with Cameron Diaz, she's like, oh, you know, and, and she's so gross in it. Oh, she's terrible. But it, that's what you, that's what Cameron Diaz would look like if she wasn't a movie star. <laughs> if she wasn't a movie star, that's fucking exactly what she'd look like. But I mean, he basically, you know, discovered this to kind, of, and he held on to it literally to escape life. You know, just kind of get be somebody else and kind of be his alternate reality. But then, oh, yeah, then there's you know, a point. Okay. There's a point in the movie where everyone else is able to do this too. You know, and um, I just thought it, it is an alternate world in a way, but it is I don't know. I, and well, no, and I I actually you know, and I I actually thought about that one in the beginning, and then I thought, well, I don't want to do that because I don't I didn't think that it applied. But now that you've explained it, yeah, because even at at, at, at the end of the movie. All these other people that were obsessed with the same thing for a little while have all moved on, yeah. and they've accepted their real life. And he hasn't, and and he's still, John he's, Malkovich, he's yeah. still doing that. Yeah. So that's yeah, you know, I. So you know, it, I, it, that, that, I mean, it's a great fucking movie. It is loose, a uh, loose to the the topic, but it's one that I, you know, I kept, I couldn't get out of my head. I was like, I, I just, <laughs> just fucking. <laughs> I just took a peek at your list, and I'm sorry I did. But for a minute, I thought your number one said Armageddon, <laughs> which, which first of all doesn't doesn't fit the theme, and then secondly is a fucking a Michael Bay movie? smoldering turd oh, of a yeah. movie. I don't know why I uh, thought that Michael Bay. I knew that he didn't really that. say that. No. So. Did you see it though? I couldn't. No. Okay. What's your number one? Or it, yeah, Wizard of Oz. Nice. I almost did that as an honorable mention. It's just. It's a classic. It yep. is obviously a total classic, and it is. I think. I think it is. Say Wizard of Oz. I have to say. I think it is the uh, using the dual fantasy and and then with a basis in reality, kind of back and forth, where all other ideas of it came from. Movies like movies like Wizard of Oz, or even you know, if you want to go back further than that, yeah, the story I mean, of that, or the story of like Alice template. in Wonderland, these ideas of that escapist kind of reality mm -hmm. fantasy world. I mean, it does set the template mm -hmm. for all others, definitely. So, and I mean, you know, it's, it's a great, it's the it's the fucking it's Wizard of Oz. I, I grew up in Kansas. I know. Yeah, it's so. the Wizard of Oz. Okay, my number one is probably one you probably didn't think of, but it's a. Uh, well, you obviously, but it's Jacob's Ladder. I love that movie. And I look, I you know, I thought of that one earlier today. And I was going to change my list to put yep. it in, and I 
didn't. And that, so I'm going to let you do your thing, and then I'm going to tell you why I didn't and my my disputing okay. to it. Um, you know, I, I did it. You know, one, it's just such an incredible movie that totally goes under the radar for a lot of people that kind of, it really wasn't that big. Um, I, mean, I guess it kind of was, but I mean... I it really people forgot about it. And love they, that movie. I do too. I, oh, love, I love, love, so, love that movie. Adrian Lyne. Adrian Lyne yeah. is. I I love uh, even his shitty movies. I love Fatal Attraction. I love Fatal Attraction. <laughs> I own Fatal Attraction. Oh, yeah. It's filmed. It looks so good that even the cheese ball stuff in it you can forgive because it looks so I fucking only, good. I only I own nine watched, and a half weeks. That's how much I love Adrian Lyne. I only watched Fatal Attraction for Glenn Close boobs, and I was <laughs> when I was when I was like a young prepubescent kid who just I'll wanted t- to see boobs, and it was the only VHS tape my parents had that had boobs, and I'm like, I'll tell you what, having watched it again just uh, this year, and you know, I'm I'm getting laid, okay? They're still good. <laughs> Her boobs? <or> yeah, <laughs> they're still good. So good for a prepubescent boy who's. Who's still who's still or an looking over thirty man or an over thirty man? <laughs> I'm just saying, even at this day and age, that jaded they hold their test. They of hold, time. yeah. Well, maybe not now. I wouldn't want to see him in like I don't know if these walls could speak for or whatever <laughs> she's doing these days. I bet I bet there's some Snoopy ass noses, but anyways. But the reason I did it is because it was like a dying hallucination. You know, they have the B two drug thing. Yes, and you know, and it's just basically you know. His alternate world, after he lost his son and went through all the fucked up shit with the war, and just, you know, and I don't know, I just, I always, when I thought, this was the first movie I thought of when we, when said we're going to do this list, mm. and, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know, I, I don't really have any explanation, other than, you know, the ending, which I didn't see coming. I didn't either. Um, I, I didn't either. And people who fucking told me they did, I'm like, you know what, go fuck yourself, because yeah. if you did, if you did see it coming... It's because you saw some other shitty movie where the director of that shitty movie saw Jacob's Ladder and went, oh, that's a, that's how I'm going to end my movie. I would love to do this one for podcast. So that Definitely. Would be a good one. Now, okay, and my big Discrepancy. spoiler alert thingy, whatever, now. But, so, at the end of Jacob's Ladder, you find out that what Danny Aiello's character told him in the beginning of the movie of, you know, there is no heaven, there is no hell... If you're dying and you're you're scared of dying, you're gonna hold on to your life as much yeah. as you can, and you're gonna see demons ripping your life away. But if you let go, you'll see angels, and they're just there freeing you and from the your mortal hell world. Can right, be good, yeah, kind of. But my discrepancy for the reality slash fantasy world is that in the end, you find out he died on the table in Vietnam, which means. Everything else that you saw in the movie, the exception of the happen. flashbacks, never happened. It yeah. isn't a reality. That's my only discrepancy. Still a good choice, but that's my only discrepancy. Yeah. Is that the reality was never a reality. The entire thing was a nightmare. And that's why even when things are good, they're still kind of shitty for him. Yeah. So that's all. Well, I mean, obviously the part with his son dying, which is Macaulay Culkin's, like, I think first movie. Yeah, right? it, it was. That was his very first movie. Which is movie. weird. Like, yeah. you know, he's, and I, I That's the only shitty thing with child actors is that, like, you know, he's so good in Jacob's Jacob's Ladder, and then he does, like, 75,000 movies, so now, years later, you go back and you watch it, and you're like, oh, Macaulay Culkin's his son. I think it's he's Macaulay Culkin fucking hilarious in Uncle Buck. 
Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. You have a lot more. You have a lot more hair in your nose than my dad does. Waiting for your sex. <laughs> what, he say? what he says. You have a lot more hair in your nose than my dad does. And he's like, "Thank you for noticing." He goes, "I'm a kid. That's my job." Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, we've got uh, we've gone a, a little longer than we want to. We're gonna, we don't have a, a, a listener feedback section this week, with the exception of uh, who was it that wrote to us? I... Mark Foo Boy, who. Wrote to us to tell us that uh, for our future movies, episode before last, we should have put RoboCop in there. And you know what? He's fucking right. You were right. Because I love that movie. I want to do I'm RoboCop I'm one of these days. I'm surprised that one didn't make it. I'm surprised because it's so good. It's so good. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to a song. Which song? Will Sartain, right? Will Sartain. I can't remember the name of the song. Um, I'm totally unprofessional When we here. come back, we'll tell you the name yeah, of the song. Yeah, we'll tell you the name of the song when we come back. Um, so when we come back, we'll do the, uh, other list. So, yep, see you in a second. going to go into our second list here. It's not really going to be a top five uh, like we normally do. This is, uh, you know, we, and we do have reasons for this, but not, we kind of have the same reasons. It's more going to be just a discussion, but it's going to be um, reasons why America, you know, I, I don't want to say hate because it's a, it's a, they don't really hate them, but they're Fear. scared. Yeah, Fear. they're scared of subtitled movies. 
reasons why films. yeah why why foreign films don't do that well in America and um, you know and basically why America's stupid well why can you why can you have uh, subtitles in like Lord of the Rings and if it's Elvish it's okay but yeah if it's something else then America has to remake it no it's true that we do we have to remake them yeah uh, the same thing happened with and this is a good time with Guillermo del Toro but the orphanage they remade the orphanage. Even though that was a brilliant movie by itself yeah, in Spanish. In they don't own, need to remake it. Right, yeah. Well, and you know, I, I think one of the interesting things, too, is that with Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Gilmore del Toro actually wrote his own subtitles. Yeah, I read that. Because they the fucked movie, him up so bad with Devil's Backbone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they fucked him up so bad that he wanted to make sure that like it was going to be... You know, because it's like a movie like Pan's Labyrinth, like you're not going to fucking remake it. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get a dubbed version in English or. Well, and one complaint, and this is a little off of the subtitle thing, but so many movies that come out with America in America these days is they're either gonna be comic book movies, which is a form of a remake, right? Sequels, which is basically rehashing the same shit over and over, yes. Or um, what's the third one? I can't remember. Um, just remakes of foreign films. Yeah, it's I there's mean, tons of them. I mean, you know, and, and it's so it's so crazy. Like, all right, they just remade uh, the Eye, the mm-hmm. new ones with Jessica Alba or whatever. And I have the original. It's great. You don't have to fucking remake it. Okay, yep. so it was Korean. Let it go. Yeah. You know, and there's elements in the original that you're not going to be able to remake in a realistic fashion. That's one of the things that irritates me the most about some of these remakes is that. You know, and one of my biggest reasons on on the list that I made of the reason why why people in America have this fear or this weird attitude towards foreign films is because they can't relate to it because it's from another culture. Yeah. Ooh, like who fucking cares? Like, can you can you relate to Star Wars? Well, How do you relate to Star Wars well, or Lord I- of the Rings? Like. You know, you've never been you you've never existed in some fantastical world with aliens and fairies and shit like that so what's the difference yeah. if if this takes place in a culture that doesn't exactly reflect your own you're bored or confused well and that's one of the big ones i have on here it's which it's actually called xenophobia which yeah. i learned and it's uh you a, learned that i did learn you it learned it oh i learned it from that video game called xenophobia back in the 80s <laughs> i know that's how i knew what the well xenophobia is basically fear or contempt of you know, of foreign or the unknown, or especially with strangers and, and foreign people. And it's not necessarily racism, because racism you deny and you, you're like, I'm not racist, but xenophobia, you're like, I just don't get That's it. That's weird. Understand, you yeah. Know? So, you know, and it's basically just fear of the unknown, kind of, you know? They're like, yeah. they, you know, they eat rice. Yeah, they eat too weird much, food. You know? and they're, they're, they wear funny clothes, and I don't understand. You know, and one of the big things, too, is you think about some, you know, like one of, one of my... Uh, one of my favorite uh, foreign films, uh, um, Audition, yeah. is is very much uh, the story itself is is it has such a home in uh, Eastern culture and the uh, the relationships that men and women have in that culture that it plays with those ideas so much that you look at that movie and you go, you couldn't re- like. There's no way you could remake that movie and have it have the effect if it was remade in L.A. It just wouldn't work because so much of it has to do with subservient women roles. And, you know, and not to say that things are 
you know, always like that well, in, in other countries, but that it takes the, those ideas that are very traditional there and plays with them in a way that that's where so much of the suspense and drama uh, comes from. You know, and in a movie like Pan's Labyrinth is the same way, where it's like these are are ideas that are rooted so deeply within that culture that's like yeah you could remake it but like it just wouldn't it, it, there there's something so specific about I, about these films i think a big a big thing is that no other country really has a hollywood and a history of filmmaking there's like we Bollywood. do so <laughs> or dollywood even oh <laughs> i've never been to, i've always wanted to go to dollywood <laughs> but i mean you know there's not there's not these huge budget, which, you know, there are definitely big budget stuff, but they're not like these mindless, they're, they're, they just don't have the history and the repetition that Hollywood movies tend to have with, you know, and, yeah. you know, there's not these huge name actors and, and just pointless plots and nothing that goes anywhere. And people, which is another big part, people that just want to go and veg out and just be entertained and don't want to read during a movie. Right. Well, and I even think that that in, in a lot of ways, some of these films, uh, you know, play with, with, with different concepts that I, I think that America is too afraid to do. You know, you look at a, you look at a movie like The Host, mm-hmm. another oh, great Korean film. Great. And... It's not just a monster movie, though, because there's the monster, but then there's this whole uh, subplot with this dysfunctional family that's really funny and really interesting. And so you go, okay, so there's it's funny Clover... they're Chinese. Yeah, that's why it's funny. <laughs> they're Korean, actually, oh, but sorry. don't say anything. All right, I'll uh, stop it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to edit it and it to be fucked up. But what I was going to say is that, like, you know, the host is essentially, like, in America, we have to make Cloverfield and then Little Miss Sunshine, but you'd never think of making them as one movie. Yeah. And that's really what the host is. And, and, and you think like a, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, movies that come from other countries, they don't have anything to lose the way that, that we have this preconceived notion of, of Hollywood and, and big budget movies and what they have to be. They have to be this one thing. And if you start adding too many elements, then it all gets thrown out of whack and you can't do it. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I know we're getting just a, a, a hair off, off, off track here, but I think to go along the same idea, that's one of the reasons why these movies get remade is because they got to be Americanized. Yep. Where's the explosions? Where's the TNA? Like, where's all this shit? Yep. You know, like, they need, to be, they need to be made into these blockbusters. Uh, you know, or even look at a movie... Uh, that isn't subtitled, you look at a movie like Once. Once had to be made in Dublin. You, you couldn't, if you made that yeah. same movie in America, it would seem so fucking pretentious. Yep. But there's something about it where it's in this it's in this other element that, that almost feels makes it feel more romantic. And I'm surprised the movie did as well as it did. Not because it isn't amazing, because it fucking is. It's, yeah. it's mind-blowing. I love that movie. But... You know, you think, yeah, if it was made in America, the 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 guy and the girl end up sleeping together, right? Or that, you know what I mean? Like, no, they'd, I they'd, totally agree. like there'd be all this stuff that would have to happen because it's an American movie. I mean, a lot of it too has to do with illiteracy and people that just like yeah. you know, or overstimulation, where like there's a visual stimulation and an audio stimulation. I don't want anything else except for to just sit there yeah. and stare. I don't want to read. I don't want to have to read. It's amazing how many people don't like subtitles. I just they're like, eh. yeah. They'd rather watch the 
you know, the overdub, which drives me insane. I oh my insane. god, I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that. Well, and you know, and there's, and 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 maybe to to a small extent, we're being a little bit unfair because obviously. You know, there's movies like Pan's Labyrinth. There's movies like uh, yeah, a few squeak through there. But uh, uh, Crouching Tiger. You know, I mean, there 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 are some that that, that get to do those things. But eighty five percent of the movies made in other countries probably don't even premiere or even get noticed in America. I'd say maybe well, more and you know, that. that's a good point too. Is with something like like uh, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, if if Gilmore del Toro hadn't already done some movies in English that had done really well. Mm-hmm. This would be this would have flown right under the radar. That's true, and it's really a shame, man. I mean, even you know, even Michael Haneke's just remade Funny Games. Yeah, you know, scene by scene, shot by shot, he already did it like like and fucking twenty language. years ago in a different language. Yeah, he's and the same like director, Hungarian, right? I think. Yeah, and since and you know, I I don't know exactly, but I have a feeling that they were going to remake it anyway. Hmm. You know, the people who had the rights, and so he was like, well. Let if you're gonna it. do it, then let me do it so you don't fuck it up. Yep. So you know because it it definitely uh, has a lot of the tones of the torture porn, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of uh, industry, and so you know that part makes sense. But even still, it's like, why not just re-advertise it? Tell people to go fucking check it out. Yeah, you gotta read for an hour and a half. Oh no. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like I watch a movie that's subtitled, and I, I'm completely. You know, after five minutes of you like, you don't even notice. You don't notice yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and totally you agree. you can hear in your head that person's inflection and the tone of their voice speaking in that language that you're reading. It's you don't. You I don't mean, and hear I it in when I went saw the orphanage, I saw a sneak preview of it, and people, and you know, and everyone was there because they love Gamerol del Toro, and mm-hmm. they're there to see, you know, this great movie. And I would think, no, it was in Spanish. Yeah, but there's people behind behind me. They're like, oh, oh, God, oh I had that happen titles. too. You're, like, oh. you're just like, shut the fuck yeah. up. Like some of my favorite movies of all time are foreign. And yeah, it's just sad. Here. It's sad. You know what you need to check out? A Chinese ghost story. Oh, it's a good one. But I got it off of Amazon and it has bad subtitles. It's different subtitles than uh, the one I originally on I had on VHS. That sucks. Yeah, it's like what, what, what's that? Like you had somebody else go back after the fact to like redo the subtitles, and now they're like really shitty. They're worse. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyways, um, that's basically our conversation about that. If you have any feedback or anything that you'd like to add to that, please uh, write to us at a damn podcast at gmail.com. Um, we also have MySpace now, so you can do that myspace.com slash a damn podcast. Or just uh, search us on iTunes. We're yeah. Up there. Yes. A please, damn podcast. Please do the iTunes thing. Um, Next week, we're going to do something a little different. I think we're going to do this... Um, every five episodes. Every five episodes. So next week's our first one. First one. Um, you want to tell them what we're doing? Yeah, we're going to do uh, sort of an overview of uh, a couple of gang movies. Not, Not gangster. That's a different one. That's gang a different one. movies. Gang movies. We're going to do three movies. We will be doing uh, The Warriors, The Outsiders, and Boys in the Hood. So... So and then we'll also be reviewing a uh, record, a local record. Uh, we don't and, know and which. Something we yeah. I don't think we've ever really mentioned. We're in Utah. We're yeah, in Salt Lake we're in Salt Lake City. City, Utah. So all the music you've heard is from local bands uh, here in Utah. And next week we'll be reviewing a uh, newly released uh, local record. We don't know which one yet. We we're have a couple of choices. So yeah. we're going to talk about that and figure it out. But it should be fun. It'll be our fifth episode bonanza. And you'll just have to check it out. Maybe we should do Bonanza one week. That's TV, though, huh? Bonanza? I thought you meant Crane's Band. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think they ever made a record. Anyway, uh, all right. So that's it for us, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Pan's Labyrinth, check it out next week. Thanks Gang for listening. Movies, and uh, all right. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.